1: This podcast is brought to you by Men's T Clinic. Men's Tea Clinic is the team I trust with my total wellness optimization and so should you. Five DFW locations with North Frisco, El Dorado Parkway at Dallas North Tollway now open. Call 972-GO-MEN'S-TEA or visit mensteclinic.com Hour two of the G-Bag Nation here on 105.3 The Fan. Hope you're having a great day. Brian brought us over here playing coy with us. Yeah, What do you guys think's going on over there? What do you know, buddy? I don't know anything. <laughs> a lot of interesting discussions going on, though. And, and
2: Brian Schottenheimer. No, I do know a lot. I yeah, just don't yeah. want to tell you what's going on right now. I know, I yeah. you know,
1: I know. But it's it's <laughs> fascinating to try to pick your brain and, and and see what you're willing to to let us chew on. But, you know, the Brian Schottenheimer story right now is is a really interesting one. First, got to see if Kellen Moore is going to be back. If not, a lot of people are thinking Schottenheimer makes sense. Chia Fala was just saying there at the break, you saw an article, an old Seattle Seahawks rider talking. Uh, had quotes from Mike uh, from Schottenheimer talking about how much he learned from Mike McCarthy, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. I'll ha- I'm I'm scrolling through back the article right now to see exactly. A lot of my quarterback fundamentals and beliefs and protections of the quarterback come from Mike. He's had a huge impact on my career. Uh and so yeah, there's huge familiarity there with McCarthy and Schottenheimer, which explains why Schottenheimer's in the organization right yep. now and in, in his role. And it seems like the dots are connecting to that's going to be that would be at least McCarthy's first
1: choice as offensive coordinator if they're gonna move on from Kellen Moore. I could see it I could see it as Mike believing complimentary football is the way. He he said when when Dak went down Kellen Moore's got to be smarter, you know? I, I think I think a shift towards more boring is what this would be or less passing. Um, and, and we'll have to see. I guess the proof will be in the pudding whether that could be a winning formula for the Cowboys to sort of, uh, you know, double down or, or make a, a, a play caller higher that would reinforce that philosophy from, from Mike McCarthy. But that's one possible narrative that could develop if Kellen Moore was let go.
2: What do you do at running back then if you get Brian Schottenheimer as your O.C.? If Is it the is it the emphasis going to be on running the football? I think so, yeah. It certainly okay.
4: was in Seattle. I mean, I remember thinking 2018 when he was there in that playoff game. Yeah. Why the heck didn't they throw the football more? We lucked out there when the Cowboys beat him in the yeah. wild card round. Uh, that was a, run, a run, huge storyline in Absolutely. that game.
1: Yeah, and Pete Carroll was proud of it, uh, as a matter of fact. And it was one of the big... Uh, developments in Seattle that made them want to go in the direction of a passing player more. Now, when they turned Russell Wilson into a passing player, they missed the playoffs for the first time in his career. You know, so I think there's a be careful what what you wish for on that side of it as well. It is time now for Zach Wolchuk to take the podium.
4: Yeah, I just real quick. I mean, one of the other guys that I was just looking at as an option, Brian Johnson, who's the quarterback coach with the Eagles, and you'd pry a division rival. But the other link here is he was the quarterback coach for Dak at Mississippi State, and he's done an excellent job with Jalen Hurts in Filthy. So he's been under Nick Sirianni, and what they're doing with a very creative offense that has been a juggernaut there. I mean, it's just another name that I would consider bringing in, and just picking his brain. And also, would he be able to get the most out of a Dak Prescott with familiarity there for an offensive coordinator? It's never a bad idea. Just you know, I mean, just you—you you look at you look at links. You just try and try and find commonalities here with with coaches, and I just thought that was also an interesting name to just throw out there, but maybe they have their plan in place. See, the problem with,
2: in, in your your plan to me is outstanding, what you want to do. The problem is you have a guy that's interested in hiring friends. Sure. And Dan Quinn fell in his lap. And that's the one thing that has to be in your mind right now is like, well, listen, why you saw how the thing with Dan Quinn worked, why would you not want to go talk with more? It's almost an organizational thing too. How many guys do the Cowboys interview when it comes to head coaches? Two or three, yeah, two maybe. <laughs> if, if you one count of, Marvin one, Lewis, one of them breakfast. being one of them being a, a Rooney rule, yeah, deal.
3: Well, um, even with Dan Quinn, they did that, and it's worked out with Dan Quinn, but absolutely. They, they but didn't... that's what I'm
2: saying Dan Quinn fell in their lap that way. Mm-hmm. You know, they were willing to do that, but you know, the, now you're going back to, you know, and heck, I I don't know, maybe Schottenheimer's. If if fact, they make this move, maybe Schottenheimer has along the way said, you know what? I know Mike has kind of influenced me, but. There's some things I think I've seen that could help Dak be better. Sure. You know, but that, to me, I'm just, I'm worried about the evaluation. I used the word evaluation. I don't know how you evaluate a guy that's been here seven years. Yeah. You know, I think we're past the
4: evaluation. I think you're right.
2: I think you're to the point now where either you fix it or you move on.
4: Yeah. I'm with you. I, I think what you're trying to do is maybe get back to mechanically what can we work on here? Much like where, where he took a step with John Kitna, I don't mechanically,
2: or just
4: is—is is it about
2: seeing the field? Is it just? I mean, is that mechanically? Mechanically, to me, is about pointing the pointing the shoulder, opening the hip. You know, you know, fire, You know, looking. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's real important. I, I just don't and know how you're reading but like his
1: biggest issue. Yeah, what are that da- yeah
2: what what's that da- If you had, to I see- think
1: seven years in though, your eyes and the way that you see football isn't going to evolve much. What I what I'm that's hoping, my worry. Right. What there. I'm hoping for is to spring guys early in plays with crossing routes, rub routes, you know, uh, play action later on. But in in the early early downs, we need to get guys crossing and coming wide open for Dak to hit while they're on the run, right? Yeah. That that's what these two quarterbacks in Mahomes and Burrow specialize in more than anybody else is these quick striking plays to guys on the run that yeah. allow them to turn it up field and beat the defense before the play's really even gotten started and Dak does not get that benefit. Guys wide open, close to the line of scrimmage, very quickly in a play. And to me, that's what would make it look like Dax reading the field great. It's just a very quick striking play against two defensive backs that have been knocked against one another.
4: Right, and I hear your point, Brian, and, and that could be it as well. Processing, evaluating well, what you see. The fourth down call that they made
2: in Tampa where they got CeeDee Lamb open on the double pitch, Brilliant call. And it, and it was a fourth down call, and that's how they set it up.
1: Yeah, lots now, of that.
2: Now, they also set up a call where they, they ran against uh, they, they were trying to play a, a Tampa two, run the middle linebacker down the middle of the field, and he threw the ball to lamb instead of throwing the ball on the other side to, to uh, Hilton. Hilton. You know, Hilton was the easier throw, yeah. of the two. That's the problem this guy has. You know, even when you set things up, he yeah. doesn't always see it that way.
1: It's fair, you know, and, and that's, that's where the coordinator can help make it easier to spring guys wide open than hoping your receivers win one-on-one or sometimes two-on-one. Or hoping the quarterback
4: actually sees them. Yeah. Mm. All right, uh, really quick, we got some Rangers news here on your home of the Rangers. They did sign veteran reliever Ian Kennedy. He is returning to the Rangers bullpen. He signed a minor league deal as uh, the closer back in 2021. So he is returning to the Texas Rangers organization. He didn't have a great season season, in 2022 with Arizona but he was really good from May through August where he had a 2.78 ERA and he held uh, opponents batting average to 2.88 and let's hope that you know with your, your new pitching coach that maybe you can go ahead and harness the the good from Ian Kennedy who's certainly later on in his career and then they also went ahead and signed Reyes Maranta, to a minor league contract. He's 30 years old. He's a right-handed pitcher that's uh, pitched with Bruce Bocci, uh with the San Francisco Giants from 2017 to 2019. So you've got some familiarity there. Uh, he was 10-11 and 11 with a 3.02 ERA and 170 innings pitched with 200 Ks and surrendered 62 runs on 112 <laughs> hits last year. So just some bullpen depth there for the Rangers. Can't have enough of it. Well, Get ready for but surprise. But you know what's great
2: about that? You know what's great about those? You said those signings. They, they might not mean anything because you know what, you've already signed some pretty damn good players. Hopefully they pitch that, deep not, into the game. That's not the thing, well, oh, they're bringing back Kennedy and he's gonna be the guy I relied on as the middle relief guy. Sure. You know, now all of a sudden he has a role. This is just about familiarity and some depth Absolutely. Of, of some players. This is not about having to try and like fit these guys in and, and let them be, you know, let them be the guys that are taking meaningful innings. No
1: question. But I, I tell you, it's it's the biggest all-in move I've seen from any DFW team in a long time. Yeah. I, I love this. Yeah.
4: All right, uh, let's look at some mismatches and X factors here for this conference championship weekend. Is we've got our survivor picks, and we look at 49ers and Eagles. And this matchup is going to be fascinating on many different levels. And ESPN's put out, you know, some... Matchups to watch here, and some X factors. And the X factor in the game they're going with is Hassan Reddick for the Eagles, and he logged seventeen and a half sacks in his first season with Philly, including one and a half sacks last week over the Giants. And they liked the matchup with Hassan Reddick against Mike McGlinchey. Now we saw Micah Parsons give McGlinchey fits last week for our Dallas Cowboys, but you've got their defensive coordinator. In Gannon, who can scheme a lot of one-on-ones with the st- with the stunts for Reddick, and you wrap him inside. So they think that he's really going to give Brock Purdy some issues. He's got a 27.6% pass rush, pass rush win rate. And he was relatively close to Micah Parsons this year in that category. So similar to the way Micah was able to disrupt and get pressure on Brock Purdy a week ago, they think Hassan Reddick could be a guy that has a big day in this game against the It's a San huge Francisco.
1: reason I like Philadelphia in this game because I, I think they're going to be able to rush and cover better than the Cowboys did. And we saw Brock Purdy look like a rookie on a handful of plays. I, you know, I think I think that's going to be a big factor along with, you know, the Eagles offense probably putting more pressure on, on them than the Cowboys were able to.
4: X-factor for San Francisco. How about the fullback Kyle Juszczyk? And And this is a guy who's always a mismatch nightmare with the way that they're able to use him. But... He only had one offensive touch last week for the Cowboys. He was deployed a lot as a blocker in the run game.
2: What, he yeah, had like a seven-yard run down on the goal line?
4: Right. But if you use him as a traditional eye formation, you can play him as a wing. You know, he seals off the edge and pre-snap movement, but he can impact the way the game's played as a pass catcher. If you want to use him on screens, there's a lot of different ways that you can use Kyle Juszczyk, and oftentimes he's a guy that's not accounted for. By the defense, all of a sudden, you're you're worried about Debo, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. Next thing you know, all of a sudden, here's Kyle Juszczyk. Oh, my gosh, he's unaccounted for. Brock Purdy, boom, check it down, let him go to work. Quite a weapon to have
1: Kyle Juszczyk, if that's the sixth, seventh guy you got to worry about. Man. I love it.
4: Well, Philadelphia needs to be worried about the San
2: Francisco running
4: game.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: They're,
2: they're 24th in the league when it comes to yards per attempt. That's where
4: I think they've got the big edge in this game. All all I don't sudden, think they're going mean, to stop the run that, game.
2: That's where you talk about Juszczyk and stuff like that, and... You know, these running backs and McCaffrey and those people. I mean, they, they they we saw Dallas, that game was tight the other day. And what happened? Philadelphia's kind of figured out how to, excuse me, uh, San Francisco figured out how to run the ball a little bit, you know? And the one thing that Philadelphia struggled with is they're mid-pack when it comes to run defense stuff.
4: How about this? Look at Chiefs and Bengals. They look at, you know, look uh, their power ranking here, the biggest mismatches. One of the biggest advantage that the Bengals have had in these games is in the fourth quarter. The Chiefs have been outscored by the Bengals 26-6 to in the fourth quarter and overtime of the three matchups, which showcases a major difference between the quarterback play late in the games. Burroughs completed 80% of his passes for 257 yards, two touchdowns, one pick in those games for 110 pass rating. Mahomes... 71% of his passes, 111 yards, no touchdowns, one pick for a 63 rating so if the Chiefs have a fourth quarter lead in this matchup they're going to be battling their own demons to see if they can preserve that lead this time around (laughs) those were numbers playing with a lead in the fourth quarter yes wow yeah last last year in the game the the Bengals had to come back to win it
1: right
3: right and then and then I believe overtime Chiefs get the ball Mahomes throws an early pick and then Burrow and company just need a field goal to to win the game uh, so yeah, that that's uh, that's interesting, and that's really big time nut up time for for quarterbacks. You know, in a, in a close game, what do you do in the fourth quarter? That's uh, that's a huge factor. I did love seeing though when we when we think about how much the Chiefs have or the the Bengals have done defensively to slow down the Chiefs' offense, and when you when you look at what they've done, the Chiefs in their last three losses to Cincinnati, it's still basically their same yards per play and points per drive that it always is which is best in the sport so it, it's you know a costly turnover from mahomes is yeah. gonna get you uh and he threw i think two interceptions in the playoff game last year I think you're right you know so the, avoiding so do the numbers say things... sample
1: size is the reason cincinnati's beaten kansas city like this uh in terms of
3: like, I, I it's think, just
1: three games and those can go either way like they're, they're or, yeah, or is because, there something substantive that makes you feel like Cincinnati has a legitimate upper hand when you look at those numbers chief yeah
3: I mean I I just I think a lot of it comes down to like last year it was the turnovers. Because the yeah. Chiefs controlled the game, and they had the lead in the fourth quarter, and then things got away from them, and an overtime interception cost you the game. But when you break it down, their yards per play and their points per drive, which is best in the sport, is basically the exact same in when you look at the three losses to Cincinnati that the Chiefs have had. So wow. they're still moving the ball at a great rate, and they're still scoring the ball at a great rate. Uh, and so I think a lot of it would come down to the turnovers. That would just be that. Be yeah. my thoughts on and it. And
4: Joe Burrow's played really well in the fourth quarter. A lot of it also is the Chiefs secondary has had no answer for Jamar Chase. If you look at Jamar Chase in these yeah. games, he's had 417 receiving yards in the three matchups against Kansas City. When Joe Burrow has targeted Jamar Chase, listen to these numbers. He's twenty four of twenty nine for four hundred and seventeen yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Oh my His gosh! Passer rating is one hundred and forty four. They're averaging fifteen yards a completion. In the second half of those games, Chase has fourteen catches for two hundred and forty four yards, two touchdowns, and the catch. Is 18 yards per catch.
1: Jeez. He's balling yeah, against the Chiefs. He's a band. super monster. That's the guy that really owns the Chiefs. Yes. Good Lord. He needs an Aaron Rodgers moment. I own you. <laughs> That's something. Thank you, chuck